Hey everyone, welcome back to the Catwalk. My name is Clark Cowden, the host for this show, and I'm glad that you have joined with me again for our message for this week. Uh, today's message is called What a Year. As today is the final Sunday of 2020, we're kind of looking back and reflecting on what this year means, uh, looking at some scriptures in the Bible of how to make sense of what we've gone through in this unprecedentedly difficult year. Uh, I invite you to sit back and relax and reflect with us on the meaning of this year and how it can propel us forward to a better year next year. Today is the last Sunday of the 2020 calendar year. There are only four more days left until we start the new year. So I just wanna tell you Congratulations, you made it. You made it through a very difficult year. You survived. Not everyone did. If you have trouble finding things to be thankful for this year, be thankful that you survived. Do you remember what the world looked like one year ago? I remember last year at this time, everybody was making jokes about the 2020 year and talking about having 2020 vision. Everyone was making predictions about what the year would look like. Everybody was wrong. Nobody saw this coming. Nobody accurately predicted the kind of year this turned out to be. I would say this year was the worst health crisis of my lifetime. I would say this year was the worst political leadership crisis of my lifetime. I would say we have one of the worst years of racial and social unrest of my lifetime. And I would say we've had the worst year with the truth of my lifetime. I think our ability to discern the difference between the truth and a lie, how quickly we believe what we want to believe, even when there aren't facts to support it, and how often people share conspiracy theories, these all have reached new lows. As Christians, we place a high value on the truth. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible tells us we are to speak the truth in love. And yet it seems as if Christians have been one of the worst groups this year in believing stories that aren't true, sharing stories that are false, and being reluctant to being corrected by the truth. This crisis of truth cuts at the heart of our culture and the foundation of our faith. And yet, in spite of the mess we find ourselves in, I have great hope for the future. I believe the new year is going to be much better than this year that is ending. Not because I'm a Pollyanna optimist, but because of who God is, what Jesus is doing in us, what the Holy Spirit is doing in our world, and what we read about in the Word of God. And so briefly this morning, I want to share four things with you. One, a reading from the Old Testament. 
two, highlights from a sermon from 1918, three, an article about hope in uncertain times, and four, a reading from the New Testament. First of all, when I think about the year we are now ending, I think of the Old Testament passage, Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 to 8, which says this, There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Sometimes people ask, why does God allow all of these bad things to happen? Why do we have to go through this stuff? Ecclesiastes 3 tells us, because there's a time for everything. Our life in this world consists of both birth and death, joy and sorrow, ups and downs. Life is not lived solely on the mountaintops. It is also lived in the valleys. Life is not only lived on the victory stands, it's also lived in long years of training to get there. Life is not just lived in the applause of a job well done, it's also lived in the unseen hours of hard work and frustration that it took to get there. The good news of the Bible is that over a lifetime, the good times and the bad times balance each other out. Life is not just bad times, although some people have more bad times than good times. Some people do have easier lives than others. Some people do have more privileges and resources and benefits than others. Some people have trouble seeing the blessings in their lives. All of our lives are not the same. All of our experiences are not equal. There are differences. This doesn't make life unfair. It's just reality. But the good news of the Bible is that you don't have to go through the hard times alone. When you suffer, God suffers. When you hurt, God hurts. When you grieve, God grieves. And when you believe in Jesus, God has the power to turn things upside down. The tragedies of life don't have to destroy you. They can make you stronger. Your worst moment is not your last moment. Your most difficult moment is not your defining moment. The Holy Spirit is always at work to shape you through these difficult years into someone who is more like Christ. The good news of this passage in Ecclesiastes is that life isn't all death and killing and 
uprooting and tearing down and weeping and mourning and searching and war and hating. The good news of this passage is that God is always at work in our world to bring about times of birth and life and planting and building up and healing and laughing and dancing and mending and love and peace. Sometimes these opposites exist right next to each other. Sometimes they are in the same room with each other. But when you know Jesus, the evil does not overcome the good. It cannot extinguish the good. The power of God is greater than the power of evil. And while evil sometimes wins in the short term, God always wins in the long term. Secondly, I want to share with you from a sermon that was sent to me last month by my friend Stan Ott. This sermon was given on November 3rd, 1918. It was preached by Reverend Francis Grimke, who was the pastor of the 15th Street Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. He preached this sermon eight days before the end of World War I. The Spanish flu had begun in the spring of 1918, and it wouldn't finish running its course until the summer of 1919. It infected about 500 million people, which was about one-third of the world's population of that time, a much greater number of infections than we have had this year with the coronavirus. The title of his sermon was, some reflections growing out of the recent epidemic of influenza that afflicted our city. Two things stood out to me in his sermon from 100 years ago. The first one was he described the gloomy shadow that the epidemic cast over the whole country, the overcrowding in the hospitals, how they couldn't find enough coffins for the dead, how they couldn't find enough men to dig the graves fast enough, and how it became necessary to close schools, theaters, and churches. He describes how they have survived the worst of the epidemic, and now they had been able to reopen the churches. He describes the considerable grumbling of people when they closed their church, but he believed it was wise to do so. He thought churches should take the same precautions as everyone else and not run needlessly into danger, expecting God to protect them. Even though he was anxious to resume their ministry, he waited patiently until the order was lifted. He worried about closing down the church at first, but then he asked himself, why worry? God knows what he is doing. His work isn't going to suffer. It will rather be a help in the end. He believed that good would come out of it and that the churches and the community would be stronger and better for having gone through this season of distress. The second thing that surprised me about his sermon was that he said that this epidemic 
had shattered the theory held by so many white people in the country that white skin is entitled to better treatment than dark skin. He heard one of their U.S. senators speak on the floor of the Senate about how he believed God made the white man and that the meanest, lowest, most ignorant white man was better than a black man. But the epidemic showed them that wasn't true. Death knocked the scales from their eyes. They had been living under a delusion. White people did not fare better with the Spanish flu than black people. He believed that God was working through their circumstances to beat a little sense into the white man's head and to correct their prejudice. But he was not optimistic that white people would learn their lesson. He thought the probability was that many white people like himself might go on believing they were superior than black people and continue to live in that delusion until they had a rude awakening someday. Reading Reverend Grimke's sermon made me wonder if there is something about a pandemic that opens our eyes to the prejudices in our hearts. I think a lot of people would say we didn't really become aware of civil rights issues until the 1960s. But here was a man way back in 1918 who was ahead of his time, who saw the sin of racial prejudice long before that. I think this is who we Christians are. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit within us, we can see the sins of our culture long before others do. The Holy Spirit is always at work to humble us, to help us reflect, and to help us be self-critical. It's not in the spirit of the Christian faith to be defensive. It's not part of our faith to dig in our heels and say, we could never be guilty of this sin. Whenever we are accused of our sin, the first Christian response is always, that just might be true of me. Many people in the world are not strong enough to even consider that they might have a problem. It's too threatening. They're too proud. They're too insecure. But part of being a Christian is being secure enough in our relationship with God and realistic enough about our sinful nature to realize we all have blind spots. We all have issues we may not be aware of. And God can actually work through other people to point them out for us so that we can eliminate them and grow through them. Going through a pandemic can bring about some real progress. Thirdly, I want to share an article I read from a pastor I know, William Vanderblumen, who now runs a large Christian search firm in Texas. He said that a year ago, when they surveyed churches and pastors around the country, most were feeling optimistic about the future. After the pandemic hit, they went back and served these churches and pastors again, expecting to hear very different responses. But what they found was actually a lot of optimism. Three reasons for hope stood out. 
The first reason for hope was that financial giving to churches has not decreased. Many churches have now shifted to online giving systems, which has helped people continue to give. 93% of people who reported giving large donations said they plan to continue giving as long as they are able. Many churches today are doing okay financially. The second reason for hope is that when we study history, we see that people continue to give to the church even in times of financial hardship. While giving to the arts and other organizations often fluctuates, giving to religious organizations remains much more constant, even in difficult times. The third reason for hope is that people are seeing that the local church is more important now than ever before. As people have been quarantining and social distancing, it has created a greater desire for us to be together and the value of worshiping together in person. Community has become a higher value. While technology allows us to stream any worship experience in the world, people want to see and be a part of a ministry that is relatable, personal, and speaks to their context. People want to gather for worship. People want to serve their local community. People want to build relationships and serve the kingdom of God. There's been a surge of creativity and unity as churches are working together in new ways to live out the gospel. I am hoping that we will start gathering again for worship soon, and I believe a lot of people are wanting to do just that. Fourthly and finally, I'd like to close with two verses from the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says this, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. The picture here is that your faith is like a piece of metal that a blacksmith puts into a fire. The fire is really hot and it heats up the metal. As someone who is not a blacksmith, I would think that the fire would destroy the metal. It would burn it up. But what the blacksmith knows is that the fire doesn't destroy the metal. The fire softens up the metal. And after the metal gets hot enough, the blacksmith can pull it out of the fire and bang on it with his hammer and his tools because now the metal is soft enough to shape into something much more valuable. Peter is telling us here that God is like a blacksmith and we are like the metal that is being placed into the fire. It's easy for us to get scared and think that the fire is going to destroy us. 
If we were just thrown into the fire and left there forever, that would probably be true. But when you believe in Jesus, God is still holding on to you in the fire, and he is using the fire to soften you. He will pull you out of the fire before it's too late. He will start banging on you with his tools in order to mold and shape you into something incredibly valuable. That is why in these verses, Peter tells us that we can be glad. He is reminding us that there is great joy ahead, even though we have to endure many trials right now. These trials are making our faith genuine. Our faith is being purified and made stronger. God has a hold on your life, and he will not let you go. I know a lot of us are tired at all the things we have to endure this year. I know many people are ready to see this year come to an end and are ready for a new year to begin. But this is not the first time we have had to go through something like this. A hundred years ago, we went through the Spanish flu and World War I at the same time. It was really hard. Churches and schools and theaters had to shut down for a while. But they all eventually reopened. People got healthier. People got smarter. The world got better. Today, we are already seeing signs of hope. People are still giving to their churches. We're finding new ways to connect to people and minister to them. We are becoming more creative. And through it all, the Bible reminds us that your faith is more precious than gold. Though we are enduring many trials right now, there is great joy ahead. The fires are reshaping us into something better and stronger. Jesus tells us that the ones who endure to the end will be saved, which means that we can endure and we can be saved. And as the old gospel song says, through it all, through it all, I have learned to trust in Jesus. I have learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I have learned to depend upon the Lord. God bless. Stay safe. See you next year.